and I can't preach without a Bible. Although I have it, just kidding. Let's grab my Bible. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. So a little less than the full passage that we read already this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I know of no better way, personally. You might think, well, yeah, obviously, Chandler. But I, I know of no better way to celebrate Christmas together than to root ourselves in the story of Scripture from God's Word. Um, so I pray that this would be, perhaps this service this morning would be the, the climax of our Christmas celebration as we come to the Word and then in a moment to the Holy Communion table. Many of us have had our nativity display, if you have one, have had it out for a month now uh, or so at the beginning of Advent. Some of us put out, if you have a nativity display, some people put them out on Christmas Day and leave them up for the 12 days of Christmas time. Father Michael leaves his nativity up year-round as part of the Christian tradition. He leaves out his nativity all year. This morning, let's ask the children first, children, what are typically, what do you typically find in a nativity display? Rena, what do you find? Yeah, baby Jesus. Can't have the nativity without that. What else? Salem, what do you see in a nativity display? Shepherds gathered around. Okay, everybody else, what do you see in the nativity? Mary and Joseph, what else? Wise men, angels, some animals, yeah. Anything else? A stable, maybe, what? Yeah, the the manger where Jesus was laid. Anybody else, any other ones? Sometimes an angel, what? A bright star, yeah. We drove around town, we looked at lights, not all of them. We looked at some lights. We saw a couple nativity displays. It was fun to see those. This morning, I want to ask you a question. Yeah, I'm going to ask Magdalene a question. Is there something missing from the traditional nativity display? Is there something missing? In verse 8, here's what we read. Look at your scripture. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. In the same region, that is, in the region of... Rena, don't touch that. You'll shake the screen. Uh, In the same region as Jesus' birth near Bethlehem. They're out keeping watch. In verses 1 to 7, we learn that Joseph and Mary, because of a census, they had to leave Galilee and travel down to Bethlehem because that's where David, because, sorry, I'm distracted there. Can you just say, or Austin, will you just move that out of the way? Just pick it up. Okay. Jo- Joseph and Mary had to leave Dr- Galilee and go down to Bethlehem right before Mary's birth, because it says when they got there, the time came. That's about 80 to 90 miles. That's how far they would have traveled. So if you went out my front door on foot, you walked down Casa Grande Highway to Casa Grande. You got on the I-10 and you walked the I-10 all the way, got off at downtown Tucson and went to the very center of downtown Tucson. That's 86 miles. So that just puts in perspective. That's how far Mary and Joseph traveled. That lays off a lot of weight into your 
That, that is a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of exercise to get all the way to Tucson, and that's what Mary and Joseph did. While there in the little but crowded town of Bethlehem, following the decree of the emperor, we're told that it was time for Jesus to give, or Mary to give birth. And he was born, he was wrapped in cloths, he was laid in a manger because there's no room for him in the inn. Remember from your Advent reading this past week in the Gospel of Luke, Mary was told in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, by the angel, your child is going to be great. He's going to be, the, he is the son of the Most High, the son of God. That's who's in your womb. And then she, he said, the angel says, the kingdom of heaven will be given to him. He will be the son of King David. And so this very regal, right, very kingly description of who Jesus is. And yet when he is born, there's nothing regal or magnificent about his birth. We're told very quickly, Luke just says, the time to give birth happened, Jesus was born, he's laid in a manger. So I just think, us, you of lowly state, remember God the Son. King Jesus, he came into the world incarnated in human flesh, in lowliness, he came in humility, he came even in poverty, he came in poverty. He came into the world as a man of no renown, and it's shocking that God's son's birth should be so unmagnificent. It feels a bit backwards. The king of kings. No room for him even in an inn. But this prepares the, the surprise of Jesus' birth. It prepares the hearer of the gospel, of Luke's gospel, the hearer of the gospel throughout all time. It prepares us for how shocking the life and ministry of Jesus is. How backwards it sometimes feels, especially to the religious leaders. How even scandalous it might be. I love what Chad Bird, he's a Lutheran theologian, he said this week, if you ever wondered how far the Lord would go to make sure you were his own, look down into the manger. That's how low God has come. And the gospel is a bit scandalous. But in this region, the shepherds are out in the field. They're watching over their flock. What do shepherds have to do with the birth of God's son? With the king of kings? Jesus has been born, verse 7. So in verse 8, we might expect to hear something like this. And in the temple, the religious leaders and Pharisees and scribes, the righteous people were up to... And they explain. Or we might expect in Jerusalem, the really important people were doing this. Or how about in Rome, Caesar Augustus, who thought himself to be king and God of the world, was up to... But no. Jesus is born, and we hear in verse 8, and there were shepherds. What do shepherds have to do with the birth of of Jesus. Why do we care? Well, because God prophesied in Micah 4, chapter 4 and chapter 5, that when the Redeemer would come to rescue Israel, and from Israel would draw all nations into the salvation that God is working, he would be born in David's city, where David was a shepherd. And the news of his birth would go from that city out into the hills, right around to the shepherds. 
This is in Micah chapter 4, verse 8. We read this. It says, it's under the heading, The Lord shall rescue Zion. Micah 4, 8. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. To you shall it come. The former dominion shall come. Kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem shall come. It here is the coming of God's kingdom and the coming of God's king. And the news of that breaking forth of God into the world will go first to, O tower of the flock, which is a way of saying shepherds. The tower, that which protects the flock, that which guards the flock, that which watches over the flock, it's going to come to the shepherds first, the news of the king's birth. And God has a special place in his heart for shepherds. Guess what Abraham's career was? What was Abraham's vocation? Shepherd. This isn't trick, question. What was Jacob's vocation? How about Moses? Was he, he became a shepherd. Israel was called to shepherd the nations to God. David, Oh, what did David do? He was a shepherd. In fact, he was called to be a shepherd king of Israel. And all the kings were called to shepherd God's people. And so God has this really special place in his heart for shepherds. Micah 5, 4 and 5. It says this. This is speaking of God's king. And he shall be their peace. Sorry, I wanted to look at it in verse 4. And he shall stand. This is the king bringer, the kingdom bringer and shepherd his flock, and the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. This is a shepherd that will give safety to to the sheep. For now on he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So the angels will celebrate in just a moment the peace that the shepherd brings to earth. So as unexpected as it might feel, one of my favorite theologians He's got the greatest name, Eckhard Schnabel. He says, quote, It is quite appropriate to find the Davidic Messiah portrayed as a ruler born in shepherd country. It's beautiful. Look at verse 9. Enough about the shepherds, but this is important. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Who is going to receive the news of the kingdom first? We just read about it in Micah. Shepherds. And here, the angel of the Lord appeared, appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel of the Lord has been busy in the first two chapters of Luke. He appeared to Zechariah to tell of the forthcoming birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be the prophet to prepare the way for Jesus. The angel appeared to Mary to proclaim the miraculous virgin conception of Jesus and how that was going to take place. And now the angel is appearing after the birth of Jesus to make the news known. So the angel of the Lord has been busy. But the angel of the Lord will not appear again in Jesus' ministry until when? But here in the beginning, I'm going to answer that in a little bit. The angel has been busy in the beginning stages of Jesus' kingdom-bringing rescue mission. And throughout the scripture, angels play primarily a revelatory role. They, They come to earth to tell earth what God is up to. 
That's primarily what angels do in Scripture. And they come from the presence of God. And something of that presence, God's presence, comes with them. It's declared here as this, the glory of the Lord shone around them, around the angels. Oh, to be surrounded by the glory of the Lord. His presence around us. Maybe we have something greater, the presence of God in us. Maybe that's what the scriptures teach. The shepherds are being confronted with the holy presence of God and they're filled with fear. This is the typical response in the scriptures when man is confronted with the presence of God. Why? Well, in Exodus 24, this same glory God's glory being around his people is described, Exodus 24, as a devouring fire. Why would it be described this way? Because when the holy, uncorrupted, uncreated, perfect God collides with unholy, corrupted, created, sinful man, the latter cannot bear the purifying presence of the former. There's a collision of holiness and unholiness, and those who are lost in sin are afraid. And here the shepherds in need of redemption meet something of the purifying light of God. They are afraid. But in verse 10, here we're just going to move ahead just a little bit. The first thing the angels will say is what? Fear not. Do not fear. Why can the angel... Tell these sinful men in need of redemption. No, 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 no. Don't be afraid of the presence of God. Let's see. They, they explain it in verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not. Why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who's Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So how is it that these sinful men can stand in the glow of God's presence without fear? It's because the angel is preaching good news of great joy for all people. you got to play somewhere else, buddy. God's redemption plan has been born. The king who will shepherd God's people away from idols, away from sin, back to God's presence, free of sin, free of the fear of the wrath of God, has been born into the world. He's come for all people. The light that is the glory of the people of Israel, the light that is the revelation of God's love to all Gentiles, has been born and laid in a manger. So the shepherds need not fear because God's presence has not come to devour them. It has come to redeem them, the presence of God. In fact, they're not only going to be surrounded by the presence of God, glowing off this angelic messenger more, they will soon behold in the face of Jesus Christ, the very presence of God in man. But they need not fear because this child will not be the wrath bringer. He will be the savior, the wrath bearer. Savior is a rich term in the Old Testament. 
both the Greek Old Testament and the Hebrew Old Testament. It's a very rich term. Time and time again, the term Savior is applied to, guess who? Three-letter word. God. God is overwhelmingly who the scriptures talk about in the Old Testament when they say, Savior, the Redeemer and the Rescuer. Time and time again, Israel gets in trouble because of their lack of trust in God, because of their turning to the world instead of God, because of their worshiping idols instead of God, or seeking refuge in in the world instead of God. They're oppressed, beaten, taken captive, exiled. Their city is destroyed. Their temple is ransacked because they keep forgetting to turn to their Savior, God. And time and time again, God saves them. He rescues them. He pulls them out of their trouble, out of their oppression, out of their danger. And Isaiah 45, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21. Listen to what God says to Israel. They are currently exiled because of their sin. God says, declare and present your case. I'm sorry, I'm gonna go back up. What, what am I looking at here? Verse 40, chapter 45, 21. Who declared it to you of old? Was it not I, the Lord? That's Yahweh. There's no other God besides me. Listen to what he says. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. So turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. That's what God says about himself. I am the Savior. Who else can be the Savior? No one. Just God. God is the Savior. In Deuteronomy 20, Moses tells the people, you have to realize God will fight your battles. He will rescue you and save you. In Luke 147, Zechariah is celebrating the birth of his son, and he looks to God and he says, you, God, are our Savior. That's just, you know, 40 verses before what we're looking at today, where Zechariah says, God is the Savior. But every time God moved to rescue the people of God, Israel forgot the Savior. In Psalm 106, 21, the psalmist, he's, he's groaning and he's upset because Israel's in trouble again. And he, he says this, Israel forgot their Savior. That's what he says. They forgot the true Savior, God. And if Israel would forget who the Savior was, how would the world then know? Because Israel was called to herald that message that God is the Savior to all of the world. But the true Savior would not forget his people. At the birth of Jesus, the fearful shepherds still under the power of sin and death, they need to know your Savior has not forgotten you. Who in the Old Testament is the Savior? Say it. God. Who has been born and laid in a manger but God the Son? Jesus, the only Savior, has come into the world. In Isaiah 60, God said, There is coming a day, Isaiah 60, 16, You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. When the angel appeared to Mary and said, 
This one who will be born, he will be the one reigning over Jacob forever. And so now the scandalous birth of Jesus becomes more, even more profound. Jesus is the son of the most high and that he is the Lord, the God of Israel, the mighty one of Jacob, born into the world to save his people. God has come into our midst. And he is the savior to the ends of the earth extending his salvific work to all the people. That's what good news for all the people. This time, though, the Savior has come to earth for the final rescue mission, a redemption that God's people will never forget. Because God's presence has come in the form of a man born of lowly state to walk among his people, to live in the fall, to live in the brokenness, to grow sympathetic to our weakness, and then with his perfect life to save us from the fall. How will the shepherds know who this Savior is? How will they know? Somebody tell me. How will they know? But what did they say? How will they know? Here is a sign for you. What's the sign? You'll find a king enthroned in a palace with a a crown on his head and a sword in his hand and a conquering army behind him. Here's the sign. What's the sign? You'll find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloth. That's That's the sign. Look, it's there. Verse 12. Here's the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. There's the sign. And then the angels join, the angel is joined by a multitude of the heavenly hosts, verse 13, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. In the birth of Jesus, the salvation of God has come to earth. Therefore, the highest glory and praise and adoration is turned where? To God. Isn't that beautiful? Glory in the highest. To view God in his glory is to view God as the redeemer. The one who would come to earth to rescue us. Highest glory to him who would come so low to save us. That's what the angels are, that's what they're worshiping about. You know, there's been a fracture between God and man in heaven and earth. And that fracture is caused by our sin. We can't live together with God in relationship with him because of our sin. Man has turned from God. I've turned from God. We are guilty of breaking peace with God because of our sin. But God has come to earth to mend this fracture, to bridge the gap, to restore the relationship, to what the angels say, bring peace. And this redemption is not achieved. You cannot earn it. That's why it says... Uh, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The word they're pleased is favor, with who he finds favor on. It's this idea of grace that God would be favorable to any of us. He has favor on us because he loves us. We cannot earn God's favor. He gives it because he loves us, not because we love him. He turns to us because he longs for us, not because we long for him. He has favor on us because he's perfect and holy, not because we are perfect and holy. He comes to shepherd us to himself because we are all like sheep and we've gone astray. He comes to earth to save us because he remembers. He, Salem, 
He remembers you need a Savior. He remembers you need a Savior. Not because we remembered our Savior. This is the scandalous birth of Jesus, born in a small town, born amongst animals, laid in a manger, born of a virgin girl of no consequence, heralded to lowly shepherds in the middle of the night, God born into the world to save. But the scandal grows. Listen, when we begin to make the connections that Luke is begging us to make. How is Jesus the Savior of the world? I began this morning by asking you, is there something missing from our nativity display? I challenge you with this. Perhaps we need a cross and an empty tomb in our nativity display. Did you know the oldest paintings of the nativity, the icons, they portray, the oldest ones we have, have Mary. Jonah, you might know this. It's kind of replicated in here. But they have Mary sitting outside of a cave. Okay? And who is in the cave? Only Jesus and a bull and the oldest ones. A, 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 a cattle. One animal. And Jesus is wrapped in something that looks more like a mummy than baby swaddling cloths. And he's laid in something in this oldest paintings. It doesn't look like a manger. It actually looks like a coffin. Why would the oldest, earliest Christians paint the nativity like that? Here's why. They understood the gospel of Luke. And they knew how it was that Jesus would be the Savior. They knew because the shadow of the cross casted itself over the manger. They knew that the living God was born to die for you and me. Please stick with me. Let's look at this passage really quickly one more time. Verse 9, the angel appears at the birth of Jesus to declare the good news of the Savior. The next time an angel shows up in Luke's gospel is in Luke 22, verse 43. Guess where Jesus is? He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's vexed. God, is there any other way for me to be the Savior than to bear the wrath for the sins of the world? Is there another way? No, there is not. He's lived a sinless life and he's about to be crucified for sinners. And he prays for strength. And then verse 43, it says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. An angel made known his royal birth and an angel came to minister to him in the hours of his death. Then an angel appears once more at the close of Luke. Jesus has been crucified, buried, and it's now the third day. Some women approach the tomb and they find it empty. And who appears but angels to say, Jesus is risen. So an angel marks the nativity, the cross, and the resurrection. Those are the three times we see an angel in Luke's gospel. At the nativity, the angel caused fear. And at the empty tomb, these women, they were afraid. But both times the angel said, don't be afraid. Jesus is here. It's beautiful. Next, how about this word, glory. The glory of the Lord shone around them. 
The glory of the Lord is the invading presence of the holy God into the world. In Jesus, we see the fullness of God's glory breaking into earth. Yet the shepherds did not find this child enthroned in a palace. They found a baby in a manger. Maybe he was glowing. I don't know. It doesn't say. But in Luke's gospel, we're going to read glory at a couple other significant moments. How about Luke chapter 9? I've said this before. What's one of the most important chapters in Luke, church? Chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus ascends a mountain. And Peter, some of his disciples, they come, Peter, John, they go up and they see the glory of God. Where? Surrounding them? No. Coming from Jesus. He's like lit up. And they see Jesus in his glory. And the first thing he says to them when he comes off the mountain, for me to be the savior I was born to be, I must die. The glory of God. Remember that at the announcement of God coming to the earth, the angel saying, glory to God in the highest. Well, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem in Luke 19 to complete his saving ministry, the crowd said, glory to God in the highest. The King of David has come. Jesus' entrance to be crucified marked by shouts of glory. Finally, in Luke 24, listen. After the resurrection, Jesus tells the Emmaus disciples that he had to suffer. And he had to die. And he had to be raised in order to what? Enter into his glory. Throughout Luke's gospel, God's glory in Jesus is tied to his cross and resurrection ministry. Jesus is the glory of God in that he came to be the savior, to bear the wrath for our sin and free us from the power of the grave. There's glory at his birth, glory at his death, and glory at his resurrection. What about, here we go, what about the phrase, this day? This day in verse 11, and now you're like, Chandler, you're really pushing it here. But listen to me, this, in Luke's gospel, he uses the word day, this day, primarily for moments of Jesus' salvation ministry. He intentionally saves that word for key moments. In Luke 4, after Jesus reads Isaiah 61, the prophecy of God's salvation, Jesus sets the scroll down and he says, this day the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In Luke 13, Jesus says, today, today I must go to Jerusalem to perish for the sins of the world. In Luke 19, Jesus tells Zacchaeus, salvation has come to you today because you've met Jesus. In Luke 23, verse 43, listen, church, 23, 43, our Savior, that child who was born and laid into a manger, in a manger, is now hanging on a cross, suffering for your sins and my sins, bearing the wrath of God. And there's a thief next to him, a true criminal, who gets it. He sees Jesus in his glory and he says, I believe, I believe you are the Savior. And Jesus says to that thief on the cross, truly I say to you, what? Today you will be with me in paradise. We read of today one more time. The Emmaus disciples are walking, they're distraught, Jesus has died, but now it's what? The third day. Jesus appears and they come to know 
that that third day was the day of resurrection. Luke wants us to make this connection. We read about the day of Jesus' birth. He was born to be the Savior. He was born to live every day for the glory of God, to die on the cross on the day of our redemption, to conquer the grave, opening the way, the peace with God on the third day. Finally, one more. Stay with me. What about the sign of the swaddling cloths? In verse 12, the sign is the baby and cloth. Strips of fabric will appear once again in Luke. Luke chapter 23. Jesus' sacrificial body is taken down off the cross by Joseph of Arimathea, and he is wrapped in cloth. In a linen shroud. Because the Savior, the King, truly died for you and me. And he's put into a tomb. God incarnate wrapped in burial clothes. But that's not the end of the story. Luke 24, these cloths appear one more time. Peter runs to the tomb, and what does he find? Well, who doesn't he find? Jesus. Jesus. But what does he find? The, The cloth laying in the grave with no body. Shepherds do not fear, because I come bringing good news. That's the verbal form of gospel. The angels came with the gospel. Jesus, God from God and light from light has come into the world to rescue you from your sins. He will live in this world for you. He will live in the world with you. He will honor God and walk in holiness. He will be betrayed and given up to die on the cross for you. God will look on his death as the final and sufficient sacrifice for your sins. And the baby born in a cave will conquer the tomb. Do not fear. So Emmaus, do not fear. Jesus is the Savior, born in the world to rescue you. He's come to bear the weight of your sin, your failures, to mend your brokenness. Whatever you're carrying today into Christmas, frustration, sins that you're struggling with, doubt, lack of faith, the angel says to you, do not fear, I have good news. Your Savior has truly been born. And so this Christmas, I pray that we as a church would make this day a celebration of the gospel. I would encourage us maybe put a cross in our nativity display and an empty tomb. And then the last thing I want to say and we'll move into prayer is this. You're invited this morning. The same invitation extended to the shepherds is extended to you as we come to Holy Communion. We come even now into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Jesus stands ready and he says, no, don't fear. I have come. I am your Savior. You can come and eat with me freely because Jesus finished his work as the Savior. Open to page nine. Father,